You're listening to Making Data Simple, where we make the world of data effortless, relevant, and yes, even Making data simple. This is Al Martin here. I am with what I refer to as the two-headed monster in the hybrid data management organization that I've been trying to get these guys on for some time. They know a lot about the industry, and that's what we're going to talk about today, the hybrid data management or data industry, or we'll go wherever we want to go. But I have Thomas Chu with me, who is the director of offering management for, as already stated, the hybrid data management. And then I've got Matthias and Matthias, I'm, you're going to have to give me your last name so I don't mess it up. Come on, hit me with it. Funke. Yeah, Funke. <laughs> we say Matthias Funky. You I'm can say Funky. Yeah, I'm fine with that. <laughs> but interestingly enough, he's also the director of hybrid data management um, for offering management. So why do we need two of you guys? Let's start there. You got two people, same role, right? That's right. <laughs> well, um, I'll elaborate on that a yeah. little bit. <laughs> thanks, thanks for having us. Like you said, you know, we have been waiting a long time to get on your show. You are famous already. <laughs> yeah, no, not so much, not so much. No, I know, I was just joking, but you cover a different area of hybrid data management than Thomas. Can you talk to that real quick? Yeah, look, I mean, hybrid data management is a is a is a broad domain, right? In terms of the market we are addressing. In terms of the portfolio we are representing, and as such, you know, the size of the business, um, I think, uh, requires a two-headed monster, as you call us, right, to be uh, truly effective. And you cover most of the, you guys do a little bit of everything, I get it, but you cover a lot of the, the OLTP side, a lot of the direct transactional processing, et cetera. I don't want to shortchange you any, but I know that, uh, Thomas, you also cover the warehousing piece, and then we you know, work that uh, amongst one another, yes? Yeah, correct. And uh, it's just like Matthias said, it's a very broad area. Um, so, you know, although there's some kind of specific area that we look at, OLTP versus warehouse, but we kind of know the whole business pretty well. So we work together very closely. You do. You guys actually, I, I, give, you, I give you a bunch of uh, grief, but you work together extremely well. And it helps to... Uh, have two different ways of looking at something because we can find the right solution. And let me ask you this, speaking of a unique way of looking at offering management, Thomas, I know that you came from development. You know, we've had a history when you were working straight in development. Do you think that's helped you on the offering management side? So now you're directing roadmaps, et cetera? Yeah, so I think this is really, really important because um, when we, when I started the offering management role, um, you know, when I look at the market, I've been having a lot of experience with customers, but I think at the end of the day, when you look at the product, the strategy, and how we shape up the portfolio, um, development is obviously one of the um, group with biggest resource and also a lot of people um, working on all the products. And, you know, shortening the journey between developer, offering management, sales, the field and customer and making sure everybody works as a group is really important. And I'm really thankful that I have, you know, many years of development experience. I'm well connected with everybody. Um, so I know well about what can be done, what cannot be done, what is really the, um, 
requirement and how it translates to actually technical resource and strategy and things like that. So I think um, having a good background on that, keeping everything more tight and you know, working together um, you know, in a much better way. So Matthias, I know that you are someone from development also, so do you agree with that and you want to talk more about that? Yeah, look, not much to add. I mean, I like you, I spent um, actually the majority of my professional career in development. Um, so I, I think it de definitely helps to know both sides, Al. Um, you know, I mean, I also, um, when I studied at least, right, I, I was always interested to understand the, the business side of things. Um, and um, maybe in the, in the 90s, that was like a, that was like a new thing for, for people to study computer science and and business administration at the same time. But um, I always was curious about, you know, how we how we translate uh, technology into business value. So the translation I got from that is I can't pull the wool over your guys' eyes because you're going to know if I'm BSing from a developer standpoint. Of course, and that's exactly <laughs> why they put us here. Yeah, that's exactly why. <laughs> they, they want to keep me on my toes. I love it. Um, so look, I'm going to jump into it because I want to talk about data in the industry. But uh, a sincere thank you guys for, for being on. So let's jump into it. Um, I know that you both have that expertise in data. And I guess my question is really twofold to start us out. Just overall, in general, where is the industry going with data in your point of view? You do a lot of research. You talk to, uh, you know, Gartner and, and IDC and, and, and other companies that, that, you know, give us advice. They, they do some of the research. You do the research. So the first question in uh, the crew, sorry, first question is again, where is the industry going? And the second question is, or what are the customers asking for that was different maybe for one or, from one or two years ago? Yeah, look, I mean, um, it's it's a it's a great question. It's an interesting one in in a sense that um, we, of course, we we live somehow in in our own bubble, right? So I mean, if I if I talk about this, I would say every everybody I talk to, every client I, I meet, uh, they are all interested in data. They all see the importance of data for their business, and they want to uh, you know unlock the value of data by driving you know deeper insights, faster insights on the data they they have at their disposal. Um, but the question is how, you know, how does the, the overall market look at this? And, um, you know, there are analysts out there who, you know, when I think about recent reports that came out, um, end of 2018, um, they would say that only, I think 50% or maybe 60% of the organizations see data as an asset that today, right. That is of strategic importance for, for the corporation, um, that's supposed to go up to 90% by, I don't know, 2021. I don't recall exactly, or 2022. But um, obviously, the trend is, is reflecting on the importance that we see already. But uh, there is, there's also a large opportunity out there that is uh, not unlocked yet. You know, with, and, and I guess that's, that's, that's why we are here, you know, because that, that's also our opportunity um, as a business to help these clients um, achieve that. What opportunities now? tapped yet where do you think where do you think we haven't even we haven't even scratched the surface well I think there's a lot of area that is really still in a you know initial stage despite the buzz or whatever a lot of talking the market is talking about right you know when I look at the past 20 years or 20 something years since the time that when I was in college when internet and worldwide World was just started it's really kind of connecting with people and making the availability of data more abundance there and then we have mobile, 
is basically drive the explosion of data and also the concept of cloud. And now that we have AI, right? And people would think that, oh, all these things are already implemented. It's, it's done well. Maybe AI is the recent thing. But the reality is that 80% of data are still not on the cloud. And when people think about mobile, it's really uh, the key here with a lot of data born on the cloud. The reality is that when you look at it, when you look at the secure data and all the other things that uh, we have um, in any given company, in any given business, we still have 80% of data that are not Googleable, that are behind the firewall. So that is, you know, after this many years, we still like that, right? And then AI, there's some good examples. There's some good, you know, layman term of smartness out, out there, but we are really just scratching the surface. So the potential is like un unbelievable, right? You know, I've just imagined that another 20% of data that are on the cloud that are available for mobile, just imagine that we are going in one or two more steps in terms of AI dominating the way that we do uh, AI machine learning, self-driving car and things like that. So I think like, you know, we are really just at the beginning of this whole thing. And you know, like, you know, a lot of things are really more like a sci-fi kind of thing, like the Skynet and things like that. But I see that happening. And, but when I look at where we are right now, I think we're still many, many steps from there. So the opportunity is like huge, it's unbelievable. And, you know, I almost feel that it's going to take even longer time to really achieve that. Just like, you know, just like the car industry and any other industry that when you look at it for the past 100 years, right? It, it takes time to evolve to a point that really is touching everybody. I think that's... What's, what, what's kind of different from the past couple of years? I mean, because we have been talking about AI for a while. And I also want to see if you really think clients are ready for AI as of right now. We talk about it a lot. But... You know, I know, you know, I don't even know if that's been different from a couple of years ago. Are we still on the same train? I mean, what, what is unique, you think, over the last 24 months um, as you visit clients? What are you getting from that you weren't getting previously? Well, I mean, look, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't just look at the last 24 months. Like you said, uh, the AI theme um, is actually out there since uh, the mid-80s, right, or early 80s. And um, I remember those times when we talked about expert systems and, and things like that. But to do, um, you know, machine learning and, and um, so, you know, get to the point where you have intelligent applications uh, was really not feasible because you didn't have the processing power at the time. So when you ask what's different, uh, many of these algorithms that, that we use today in machine learning are not really new. Right, but the processing power that it takes to, um, you know, to commoditize, if you will, machine learning, uh, is available now. Right, so so it's it's like it's becoming widespread. It's becoming available for the ordinary um, user, and that's what what's changing the game. Yeah, and I, and yeah, and I think one of the important point I want to make is that we have now industry and business customers starting to realize that as much as they want to use AI if their data are not well organized, if their data are not clean and, and, and all these things are not, and not secure, it's going to be hard for them to do AI. And I think this is really a revelation I have compared to five years ago when I talked to a lot of customers who does have a very committing aspiration to use AI, go on cloud right away, and then you know what? They, they go for a round of trial and find out that you can't just directly do AI. You need to make sure your data and everything is organized and clean and secure before you can actually do AI. So therefore, the change really recently that we talk about a lot is really about modernizing, modernizing your whole system. Really what you do that and taking a more organized approach to go into AI. And that is really what I'm seeing. 
things become more practical, pragmatic on this rather than just an aspirational goal like five years ago. Right. And just to add to that, Al, I mean, as this becomes mainstream, right, as you can imagine, there are many challenges that arise, like, like um, you know, of course, there are, there are many people out there um, that would call themselves a data scientist and they have some open source tooling and they use that to crunch some numbers and gain some insights. And it's, it's working, you know, it, it helps uh, scale this type of work. But, um, you know, if you are working in an enterprise context and you need to operationalize the model, you need to keep track of the versions of the model, you need to understand uh, whether there's bias in the model, you know, there are many challenges that, uh, that you know, um, that clients are facing who, who want to make use of machine learning and AI, and it is an opportunity for us to help these clients get a handle on those challenges. So I'm with you, Matthias. I mean, look, I always say, and I preach, and I'm glad I, you got the right answer as far as I'm concerned, and that is compute and storage. The plummeting price of compute and storage have changed the game, and then the access to just the sheer amount of digital data we have. And, we, and as you mentioned, Thomas, earlier, most of it we don't have access to today. Uh, just imagine when we do, because 80% of it is still behind firewalls or um, not available to us. In fact, I was listening, I was watching a show this weekend in the U.S. It's called 60 Minutes. And uh, they're showing about all the uh, satellite images now that you know you can see from day to day across the globe. I mean, it's a, I mean, the, the amount of changes on one single day across the globe is significant. You can do a lot of predictions, whether it's weather or otherwise. But they would need 1.6 million people just to examine these these images or something like that. Don't quote me on the number, but gives rise to some kind of machine learning or AI or you know all that. All those images are going to go to waste. So let me ask you this. So you've described, you know, kind of where the industry is and the opportunity and some of the challenges. What's IBM's point of view? I try to keep this podcast as agnostic as possible. Hey, but we both, we all work for um, IBM. So what do you, what do you, what is our point of view and why? So look, I mean, one, one of the action to this is, and it's not necessarily directly to, you know, this is the IBM point of view, but uh, since we talked about trends, you know, the and the amount of data that gets generated today, and it's not just in an IoT context, but also in uh, with the advent of uh, I would call them cloud-native digital applications that are built on a different paradigm of microservices, right? That emit data in an asynchronous fashion. They expect uh, other consumers to pick up that data and do something with it, or you know, um, process that. Um, that's absolutely a um, that's a trend that um, requires new technology. It's disrupting uh, what we have been doing uh, for many many years, right? In a way that you don't have to think you cannot operate any longer in in batch windows. You cannot um, you cannot afford to um, you know land large volumes of data somewhere and then it takes days or weeks to aggregate data up or move it somewhere else so that you can then analyze it. So the challenges that come with these new uh, um, application and programming paradigms and models um, are significant, and the opportunity that they represent in terms of um, you know uh, elasticity of a microservice uh, services-based architecture um, or the flexibility and the agility to evolve that architecture as the business evolves, uh, those challenges are really uh, significant and um, they are disruptive by nature. And so our point of view is that, um, you know, while people have, or clients have classic traditional environments out there, 
um, which they want to modernize. Um, there are also new use cases that we see coming up that require new answers in terms of the technology, and we see it as uh, you know our um, our opportunity to offer client clients a kind of one-stop shopping experience in the sense that they can get all these capabilities from us, whether they are homegrown IBM technologies or uh, built in, in in a partnership with a third-party ISV, right, and make that available to these clients and not just in one form factor, but ideally. In support of you know a hybrid multi-cloud world, so so that you get a consistent experience as they move workloads from on-premises to private cloud, or from private cloud to public cloud, or vice versa. What about you, Thomas? You see it the same yeah. way? Yeah. So I I echo that, and really what we see that from our point of view right now is that um, the modernization is really the biggest driving force of everything right now, and I think we in the position along with the partners and even acquisition that we did to really provide a very comprehensive platform and comprehensive portfolio to our customers right you know a lot of um, uh, players in the market are actually going to that but they all started with a one one particular form factor and try to grow to it into some of the area that they might not be the best on but i think we do have a strength of providing a pretty comprehensive platform along with the partners that we have here uh, to just do exactly what Matthias was talking about, right? You know, how to modernize everything, doing the same thing in a new way into a more just-in-time kind of nature rather than a batch uh, perspective. You know, that is really what is really driving the change and all the things we do, and I think we're in a good position to provide that kind of things to our customers. What, what do you mean? I mean, if you could, could you elaborate more on the definition in your mind of modernization? We say that a lot. It's on a lot of different slides, a lot of our pitches. We're going to modernize your portfolio. We're going to modernize your infrastructure. What, is, what does it mean to modernize? So maybe maybe I can start trying to, you know, go through some of the changes we see in the world here. Because, you know, before I joined offering management, I was in the cloud world. I was actually one of the leaders in the DevOps uh, part or on some of the managed service from, from the company, right? What I see is this, right? When you go from a small company owning a few machines or having a particular a data department, all these things into the whole thing go into cloud and whole thing go into a more modern and on the cloud and data form infrastructure. Something interesting and important happened. People find find out that when you are in that area, you the way that you manage the whole thing in terms of data form, in terms of availability, in terms of elasticity and everything have changed. Right. Um, it goes into a completely different paradigm from a long-term planning in the, in the traditional world into a new modern world in terms of just-in-time elasticity, uh, server storage separation, uh, using AI to understand that, very in-depth monitoring, a lot of these kind of so-called DevOps type of things. And that is really driving what we see in some of the successful cloud vendors in the world right now. And, and when private companies thinking about this, they see an opportunity to do the similar thing in the company to make them more, much more efficient and make them more insightful and doing all these things together. And I think that is really one of the revolution that we're seeing right now. Like companies are really now wanting to be, you know, capacity-wise just in time, being able to do AI on the data that they have right away and, and all these kind of things. And that is really the modernization and the completely different uh, set of tools and behavior and the way that people look at their data and their farm, um, you know, in a different way. And I think a lot of companies, including IBM, is providing tools, microservice, 
um, platform for them to do exactly that. And I think the world is kind of unified into a new set of practice in terms of how to manage this kind of overwhelming explosion of data. And that is the kind of modernization that we see uh, in the market happening right now. So, so I got it. I think I got it anyway. Um, let me ask you this, though. If you're looking at different attributes of data management today, what are those attributes? Like, by example, in your title, it says hybrid. So why don't we start there? What do you mean by hybrid, and why is that important to you? I know that, because I got some inside information, <laughs> that you often preach, both of you preach about no lock-in, you talk about high availability. What do, you, what do you say are the five or six attributes that you've got to get right under hybrid data management, starting with the, the keyword hybrid? So look, my take on this is, um, yeah, hybrid, it starts with hybrid, right? So um, it started several years back when clients uh, said, we want to move from a CapEx to an OPEX model. And as we do that, we, we also expect a change in the, in the agility we, we, we want from our IT systems. Right, so the, um, and with that, they expect, uh, let's call it, maybe that's an overused term, but the, the democratization of, uh, of data and the access that users have to data, right? So they want all of that at once uh, in, a, in, a, in a single move. And so uh, the cloud promised, uh, promised all that, right? And cloud, uh, while we started with public cloud and managed services, I think the cloud comes in many different forms. So, uh, you know, there are many clients and uh, many scenarios where you, uh, you want to hold the, the data and the workload behind the firewall in a private cloud environment or where, this, where managing your own private cloud is, is more cost effective for you. So at the end of the day, um, you expect that whatever capability you need to instantiate your application and solution, um, you want this to be available in different form factors, right? Whether it's in a private cloud context or a public cloud. And when we say public cloud, then it could mean different uh, public cloud providers. And, and then the next question uh, you typically face is, so but how do I avoid lock-in into a spe specific cloud provider uh, so that I can, uh, I can optimize my cost in case the, the cloud provider increases the pricing, right? So what do I do then? Um, how do I avoid these dependencies or minimize the risk of these dependencies? Um, that's certainly, that's, so that's one expectation that is expressed when, by the term hybrid um, when we talk about it. And I think the interesting thing about hybrid is that although we acknowledge hybrid being a form factor, the ultimate goal is that when customers are looking at many different form factors and many different places that they have data and things like that, they actually want it to work together and they actually want it to work exactly the same way. Like they, they will never want a completely different practice in the on-prem world versus the public cloud world, for example. And I think that is really what we're trying to do, right? Um, in a hybrid multiple form factor and multiple place world, we provide a unified data management solution for them to be able to, um, you know, really focus on the results, focus on how they use it, rather than how they set things up, monitor, and all these kind of things, because those should be all common and becoming a foundation of how they work every day. Yeah, and I think, I think before we maybe move on, right, I think the other, aspect of hybrid is then the question, how do I bring these, um, these different data sets together that reside in different locations, right? How do I create a single view on, on the com uh, combined set of data um, for, you know, to the application, to the user? And that's, what, you know, that's when data virtualization comes into play and, and federation, the ability to create a single shared view on data and shield 
the user and the application from the complexities of the underlying data architecture and topology. Do you have a view on multi-cloud? You talk about hybrid, and I presume that means uh, you, you can be in multiple form factors, whether it's on-prem or in the cloud, but do you have a view on multi-cloud, Thomas? Yeah, so, you know, when, when we look at multi-cloud, right, I think there are two dimensions we look at, right? When you talk about multiple cloud vendors, there are multiple brands, you know, um, some of them are more famous, but there are actually a lot of these kind of public cloud brands in terms of providing infrastructure to you so that you, so that you can work on your data. And then in a public and private cloud perspective, in terms of how you manage the data behind a firewall plus the data that are probably born on the cloud. And these are really all the things that we want to make sure we cover. Um, a lot of studies are saying that none of these enterprise customers is going to commit on one type of cloud or one infrastructure only. You know, just like, you know, back in the database world, a lot of customers are having multiple database for, um, for, all, the, for all the reasons. So we want to make sure that our product and our portfolio are working on all these okay, in a in in a identical way to make sure that they are able to have a choice. Right? You know, I think flexibility is important because we are really in a stage where people are making decisions, but obviously want to make sure that they're flexible in those decisions so that if there's any lesson learned, they can move to another one really easily. And I think by enabling that, I think customers will have peace of mind in terms of what they choose in terms of infrastructure, cloud, and everything and really focus on getting the work done. So here's what I've heard is, is I've kind of been listening. Um, our point of view is really an end-to-end -end solution from collect, organize, analyze. Um, Matthias, you mentioned the microservice-based uh, based architecture, something you can leverage that end-to-end -end solution with, or direct product, work together, um, and you can you know, fit other products as you feel necessary. It's hybrid, so that's where you go from a CapEx to an OpEx model. It's multi-cloud, no lock-in. Uh, in principle, I presume that means like open source, you know, whether it's, it's open parquet or otherwise, just, just a principle of no lock-in. You know, there's a lot, of, a lot of vendors out there that want your data. I, you know, I know that uh, from our point of view is your data is yours and it's yours to keep. You also mentioned no more no ETL as far as I was concerned because you leave the data at the source, that's the virtualization. And then cloud native, and you talked about being elastic, meaning you separate uh, compute and storage. Anything I missed? No, I think this is pretty much a good list of things that we pay So what, what do you, like, you, 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 I know you guys meet with a ton of clients. So here's an interesting question, at least for me. What do most clients or most people get wrong with the data? And or what's the biggest myth? What do you think, Matthias? What's the biggest myth? I mean, what's just kind of BS that, that, that's out there that, uh, you know, people may align with, but it's just a falsehood. It's, it's, it's you know, you're in, you're in, in the wrong area. I, I think we touched on, uh, we touched at least on one of, of, one of those, which is um, the idea that uh, one, one technology or one cloud will solve for everything. Um, like Thomas mentioned, right, in the old days, and you saw that on-premises, on when clients uh, had these consolidation projects to move a thousand uh, database instances into one, right? The, by the day they were done, uh, or day after the day they were done, uh, they found another 10 that just uh, were kicked, kicked up, right? Were arose somewhere else in the organization or came in with another merger. Um, so that's how I look at this. You know, the idea that you can, you can, um, you can embark on a project 
and then land somewhere new and then be done is so somehow you have to you have to embrace the uh, the idea that you are never done that this is a journey that you embark on and that you you should be um, you should go take baby steps or you know small steps that lead you to incremental value for the business um, and and be cognizant of the fact that by the time you have accomplished that there might be already another step ahead of you or another opportunity that requires you to take steps. Does that mean your point of view su suggests that uh, clients are going to choose more than one cloud? I mean, AWS, yes. AWS, by example, we got our own cloud at IBM. AWS gets a lot of airplay. Do you think they're going to choose multiple clouds as, as they deploy new work? Yeah, look, I, absolutely. I mean, look, there are already more than one. Uh, there's more than one market leading cloud out there. Uh, there are many contenders. Um, um, you know the next the next technology uh, disruption is just around the corner. It can completely change the game. So nothing is written in stone, and um, an organ a large organization in particular can hardly control what people do or what line what everybody is doing in the organization. So you can expect that there's always someone who, who wants to try something out in a different way, and eventually uh, people will be required to uh, cope with that. All right, I want to pivot into what I call a lightning round, where I just ask you guys some personal questions. Our listeners tend to like that in terms of what you're looking to learn and that kind of thing. But relative to, you know, where the, anybody listening can, can find you guys, I mean, is LinkedIn the best spot? Um, any, any contact points you'd like to, to put out there before I jump to, into the lightning round? Well, I am I'm on LinkedIn pretty frequently, and, um, you know, people can contact me and, uh, I'm always interested to meet new people and have a good conversation about industry, uh, career growth, mentoring, or being mentors. Okay, you know, for all these aspects, I'm always interested. Same here. I'm primarily a LinkedIn person, trying to get better with Twitter, but I guess I'm not there. Just, just put a put a goal of one tweet a day. That's all you need to do, man. So, all right, I'll put that in the show notes so people can get a, uh, in contact with you. So lightning round, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to run through, ask some questions. I'm going to call one of you guys out because it's difficult with uh, when we got a, three people on the line here to answer the question. But if uh, I'll pause for a second after the, the first answer, and if, if, if somebody else wants to answer the, the question as well, I'll, I'll allow you to. So here's the first question. Number one thing, Matthias, that you want to learn right now or this year? I would like to, to learn how I, can, how I can be more effective in getting us to a decision point. You know, I mean, there are so many, like I said, so many trade-ups to be made. Um, there, are, there are so many new requirements coming up every day. How we process that effectively so that we, um, we keep the velocity high as a business in the way we move forward. I think that's, uh, that's a learning experience for me. You know? All right. Thank you. Um, Thomas, any good failures you've learned from? Um, making immediate knee-jerk decision, um, you know, coming back and bite us, think twice all the time. Um, something that I really want to learn, actually, just like your, the other question, how to learn to slow down so that you go faster. Uh, it's an art. It's not easy. But, um, you know, a lot of immediate reaction on things are actually not very beneficial at the end. Uh, you know, learn it the hard way. That's one of my favorite sayings, slow down to speed up. It's like agile Kanban process, right? Mm -hmm. 
All right, so I'll start with you, Thomas, on this one. What is the best leadership advice you've ever received? When in doubt, use common sense. That's pretty good. What about you, Matthias? You got one for that, don't you? Don't read emails before you go to bed. <laughs> <laughs> I think I know why that might be yours. <laughs> I got it. I got it. What is, and I'll start with you, Matthias, on this. What is the most important habit? What is the most important habit for leaders to develop and become effective at? I think the ability to, um, to, uh, to build the right team for the right mission and um, activate that team. You know, I mean, build the organizational capability to, um, to perform uh, efficiently and effectively is key to success. And a strong belief in, in, in what your mission is. Completely agree. So to it, you guys both agree on that one. Nicely done. Um, uh, Thomas, best leadership book that you would recommend? Um, I didn't read a lot. Um, I don't know. Back to Seven Habits, you know, one of the first that I have read from Kobe. Um, you know, I reread that many times, not only because of the career, things like that, but, you know, when you're so busy, when they talk about balance in life and balance in everything, um, it's also always serve as a good reminder for me. What about you, uh, Matthias? I, I guess I don't have a good answer. Uh, I, I, think, um, I think at this point, I, it's not about leadership books. It's more about, you know, how do I, um, like you said, you know, how do I, like Thomas said, how do, we, how do I balance between business and my private life, the family, right? Um, I think that's really a How do you do it? We have. How do you do it? Um, trying to reduce my travel, um, trying to make sure when I come home, I don't just keep my cell phone all the time with me and look at it every five minutes. <laughs> um, um, that, you know, those are the small things that I think are a good start. You got to be present, man. I agree. You got to, you got to work on presence. And let me ask you this last one to, to finish up. So uh, I get your point on the leadership book, but I know you guys do a ton of research around where the industry is, where do we need to be going, and you set our roadmaps accordingly. Where do you get most of that information? I mean, for the viewers out, listeners out here, I should say, uh, thank God they're not viewers. I got a face for radio. But uh, where, 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 where do you get your information and where do you suggest the listeners out there research? Well, so if, yeah, go ahead, Thomas. Yeah, so personally, um, other than some of the industry guru and the analysts um, that we talk to, I actually really value and really cherish the opportunity to really work with a lot of customers, understanding their business. I think, you know, a lot of people can say a lot of aspirational things, but when I work with customers, understanding their need and pain, uh, we form the way how we want to help them. And, um, you know, you know, being empathetic about really what their problem is and how they want to solve their problem. Because a lot of these people are business owners, have a really good dream and how they're going to run the business well, but that is the business itself, right? Rather than IT, rather than data, rather than cloud, things like that. And helping them on the side to solve these problems so that they can really fulfill their dream uh, is really something that I'm able to collect and form my own opinion about what the industry is going. So I think my opportunity of working with a lot of customers actually helped me a lot of forming my own uh, thinking about, about the direction and things like that. Yeah, Anything I think client intimacy, client intimacy is, is, is critical, Al, but also 
I think we are in the in the fortunate situation that uh, you know as part of IBM we have really access uh, through our market intelligence intelligence team to uh, many different resources, right? Different analysts, uh, different data that our own MDNI team is uh, is creating uh, to give us to support us, you know, with these uh, intelligence and, and research assets. So the good news is is at least what I'm hearing from you, we got a lot of global research and, and advisory firms that provide us information that we that we need in addition to you know working with clients, uh, et cetera. Um, I presume there's a lot of things that you also read uh, that maybe we haven't got to. Anything else that you would you would suggest? Any um, anything from the valley that you pick up? I mean a lot of times I do like three uh, the podcast uh, 816Z, I think that's what it is. You guys do anything like that? So I think there are many different podcasts out there that um, are interesting. I, but if you ask me, if you talk about Silicon Valley, then I would say watching Silicon Valley, you know, the the, the program <laughs> on HBO is is very. Uh, We're living that. We don't need to watch that. We're living it. Yeah, exactly. But it's comforting <laughs> to see that you know the, the the challenges that we face every day are apparently uh, common patterns in the industry. All right, hey guys, I uh, I'll stop there. I appreciate you know working with you guys on a regular basis. You guys are both terrific. I've learned a lot from you, and um, look, thank you for being on. And uh, I'll be talking with you soon. Uh, any, last word, I'll give you guys a last word. Go ahead, uh, Matthias and, and Thomas. Um, not much, you know. We just enjoy not only you but the whole team, and along with sales and everybody. And I think the, the organization is really tight. So. Um, I'm coming to work enjoying every day. Yeah, I mean, look, we talked about the market, we talked about the the, the business and the, our clients. I think, um, from my perspective, there is no better place uh, to be right now. So I'm enjoying where I am, and I'm enjoying uh, to be in this team. Thank you guys for joining me. You guys are heroes. So for everybody listening, I will talk to you next time. As always, give us some feedback where you can. We'll get the... Um, We'll get anybody on that you feel appropriate. So thank you. Talk to you next time. Thanks for listening to the Making Data Simple podcast, where we make data fun. Be sure to visit ibmbigdatahub.com forward slash podcast to access the show notes and uncover even more great episodes. Remember, the views expressed here are those of the host and its guests and do not necessarily represent the views of IBM. Until next time, over and out.